Hey, good evening, y'all. How y'all doing? You good? Good answer. So, <clears throat> Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I don't know what page this is on in that Gideon Bible you stole. But I know it's in there, all right? And this is the Great Commission. This is what we call the Great Commission. It's the last thing that Jesus said before he left the planet, okay? And you guys, I don't mean to have this in front of my face. Sorry about that. And so in, in military, in the military, the, the deal is you follow the last orders you received until further orders are received. All right? So he left the planet. We ain't got another order yet, y'all. Right? This is it. This is the job. And so, you know, Dan and I have been doing this a minute, you know, 30 years worth. And we've seen folks come to the mission field for all kinds of reasons. You know, some folks come to the mission field because they want to do something heroic. Uh, you know, they're looking for significance. Uh, they they want to fix people, maybe themselves. They're, they're responding to what they perceive as a compelling need. Maybe this is just a self-aggrandizement thing. You know, maybe, maybe they're just looking to help God out, right? I'm just going to help God for a minute here. Let me tell you. God doesn't need you. All right, I'm just being, I'm just being straight up with y'all tonight. God doesn't, need, God don't need me, all right? He doesn't need you. 1 Samuel 15, 22, I'm a hep God, all right? I'm a hep God out. And Samuel said, oh, well, let me just set this up, okay? So, 1 Samuel chapter 15. So God has, or Samuel has anointed Saul as king of Israel. Uh, the Lord had given him specific instructions. He failed to follow those instructions. And uh, God was calling him to account for that. And Samuel came up in the, the, in, in, in the story. He was, he was uh, uh, ordered to, to eradicate a whole people group and all their animals and all their livestock. Now, in the 21st century, that's a, little, that's a little challenging for us, and I get that. But the takeaway here is he had specific instructions, and he didn't do them. And so Samuel comes up, and, and, he, and he, he confronts Saul about this. He's like, Saul, what's the, why do I hear all this bleeding? What's going on here? Why are these sheep uh, making noise at me? They should all be gone. And Saul says, yeah, well, you know, I, I know what God said, but... You know, I just, it seemed like a waste. And so I thought, you know, it'd be really cool if we sacrificed these animals to God. You know, and I just thought he would like that. And he was, I'm just trying to help God here just a little bit. And so Samuel responds to him. 1 Samuel 15, 22. And this is what Samuel said. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice, 
All right, I'm, I'm going to read you guys something here, okay? Check this out. Just think about this. Revelation 1, 12 through 17. I'm going to read some extra before what you see on the screen. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a glowing sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Okay, so does it sound like that guy needs your help? (laughs) Does it sound like that guy needs my help? Not so much, right? Maybe we need his help, right? And, and so John the Revelator, so this is verse 17. This is what he said after he saw all of that. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though dead, right? <laughs> he just took him out. He, he's, he's, he's planking there, you know, on, on, the, on the golden pavement. So this, uh, this Job guy, yeah? Have you guys read the, 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 the book of Job? Has anyone in this room read the book of Job? All right, we've got a few. Here's the deal, you guys. You've got to sit down and read the book of Job in one sitting. All right? It's like 42 chapters or something. You, you'll be fine. All right? But you've got to read the whole thing in one sitting. I did it as a college student. You can do it. All right? I promise you, you can do it. So that's your homework. How many of you are going to, maybe not tomorrow, but in the next book, before the end of the week, sit down and read the book of Jonah in one sitting? Job in one sitting. Yes, no, can I, get, can I get a witness? Wow, you guys are weak. You got to step it up, San Angexe. Come on, man. What's wrong with you? Seriously, guys, you really need to do that. Uh, so the, the point of this whole story is, let me sum it up for you. This is the book of Job. Job says, at the end of the day, I thought I had something to say, but you know, nah, you know, I'm good, man. I got nothing. I'm shutting up here. So we've got Job and his three comforters, uh, uh, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. And do you guys know the story of Job? Right? This guy is God's poster child, literally. Right? Satan comes in and God says, check out my boy Job. Right? Everything he does is right. Okay, Job has got it going on. What do you think about that? And then the, 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 the devil says, well, that's because you've blessed him so much. If I, I take all this stuff away and, and, you know, take his family away, take out all, all, all his props away, he, you know, that, he, he won't stay faithful to you. And so God says, okay, give it your best shot. And so Satan does that. He, he, he destroys his family and takes all his wealth and all his props are gone. And Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Satan coming back in one time to God's presence and, and God says, how about my boy Job? Yeah, you messed with him and he's still good to go. What you think about that? And Satan says, well, you know, it's because he's still got his health. If you let me mess with his health, then he's going to be all 
you know, I, I, I fold here, right? And so boils and stuff, and he's sitting outside the camp with a, with a, 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 a scrap of a, a pot and scraping the boils on his skin. And he stays faithful to God. But Job had one problem. He thought he was right and God was wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was a problem. And so then uh, the young buck in the crowd, right? There's these three older guys who, who talk, talking to Job. And the young buck in the crowd, Elihu, he, he said, look, I, he let all these guys talk, Job and his, his three comforters. And he said, look, I didn't want to say nothing because I'm the young guy here, but you guys are stupid. All right? You're just stupid. And let me tell you how it is, right? And so he, he, he read the riot act to Job and his three friends. And then God showed up. Okay? And God just takes him to task. And, and I love reading, I just reread this, getting ready for this. And God gets snarky with Job, right? He gets snarky with him. He's like, okay, Job, I'm going to sit down and you instruct me. You tell me about it, Job. You were there. How, you're, you're the ancient of days. You tell me. It's just amazing, right? God gets snarky with Job. And so God comes and he says, Job, you tell me about it. And then Job says in chapter 40, Verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. At the end of the day, even when you're God's poster child, you ain't all that. All right? Even when God brags on you, he's still God and you ain't. All right? That's the moral of the story. The end of the day, y'all, God don't need our help. He is fully capable in and of himself. Okay? Secondly, the word is near you. All right? Romans 1, 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has embedded of the gospel within creation. It's the, the, the word is near you. In Romans 10, 5 through 13, Paul is referencing Deuteronomy 30. Okay, he's, he's reaching back to the Old Testament, to the law, and he's pulling it forward into the new covenant. Okay, this should inform our lives a little bit. Okay, this isn't, you know, uh, the, all, all the old stuff has passed away. It's just been rejuvenated and reframed, all right? So in Romans 10, 5 through 13, Paul says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend unto heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, the DNA of the gospel is embedded deeply in each one of us. Every single person on the face of the earth bears the image of the creator. That DNA is within all of us. Even reaching back to the beginning of time, reaching back to myth. And now we're going to take a little journey, y'all. We're going to go from myth to mayor, all right? But we're going to start with myth. So Lewis and Tolkien and Hugo Dyson, you guys know C.S. Lewis? You guys heard of, heard of his books? You know J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Yeah. Well, them and one of their Inklings buddies, Hugo Dyson, were hanging out into the early hours of the morning on September 20th, 1922. And their conversation had begun the previous evening at, at dinner. And they were... They were talking about this idea, this is my paraphrase, of truth with a little t that points to truth with a big T. You hear what I'm saying? Because they were on Addison's Walk, and I've got an image of, of what this thing looks like for you. We've got Addison's Walk at, at Maudlin College in Oxford, England, and they were walking this path and talking all night. And Lewis was struggling with this idea of mythology. For him, it was just lies. It's like, well, they're just lies. But Dyson and Tolkien, who were both believers, explained to him, well, it's, they're not lies. They're just shadows of the truth. They're just reflections of this capital T. And they're just truth with a, a small t, right? And this was significant in C.S. Lewis's life. This was a transformative moment for him. And they stayed up till three, Tolkien excused himself at 3 a.m. And then Hugo and, and Lewis packed it in at 4 a.m. And weeks later, as he was writing to his friend Arthur Greaves, Lewis said this. Now, what Dyson and Tolkien showed me was this, that if I met the idea of sacrifice in a pagan story, I didn't mind it at all. Again, that if I met the idea of God sacrificing himself to himself, I liked it very much and was mysteriously moved by it. Again, that the idea of the dying and reviving God, Balder, Adonis, Bacchus, similarly moved me, provided I met it anywhere except in the Gospels. The reason was that in pagan stories, I was prepared to feel the myth as profound and suggestive of meanings beyond my grasp, even though I could not say in cold prose what it meant. Now, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. From this moment of walking on Addison's Walk with two friends, one of the, the greatest intellectual minds of the 20th century 
came to faith and wrote some of the most incredible classic Christian literature in the history of the church. Impactful. Thousands of people have been impacted by his writing. And Lewis was able to come to this conclusion and get on board with what Tolkien and Dyson were saying because he understood this idea that all creation is divine. Okay, all creativity comes from God. The devil can't create y'all. He can twist and manipulate and, and, and you know, spin stuff, mutate, but he cannot create. Creation is the sole domain of our God. And Tolkien understood this, Dyson understood this, Lewis understood this, and, uh, you know, Dorothy Sayers, Madeline Lingle, all of these guys understood that there's a, 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 a creator with a capital C, and we, as his image, are creators with a, a little c, right? We're sub-creators. But that DNA is within all of us. And that brings us to gravity, Right? That brings us to Mr. John Mayer. Right? Now, I've listened to this song many, many, many times. And it's just recently, whenever a lot of strains of thought had converged in my noggin, that I listened to it differently. I've been watching a bunch of, of uh, short-form documentaries by Jim Al-Khalili. Anybody know this guy? Physicist, Surrey, England. Okay, anybody in here watch Curiosity Stream? Nebula? Thanks, bro, I see that hand. I got my brother there, represent. <laughs> All right, nerds, you gotta, get, you gotta get your game on here, right? <laughs> Curiosity Stream Nebula, write it down, check it out, it's awesome, right? If you're into the whole documentary thing, which being an uber nerd, I am. All right. So I've been watching a bunch of short form docs by this physicist from Surrey. And he's talking about gravity. He's going back to Newton and then Einstein and, and all this stuff. And, and guys, every single discovery they've made, right? It's, it, none of it conflicts with scripture. In fact, quite the contrary. You know, they're saying stuff. And I'm like, well, dude, that could be exactly how this could be what that meant, Right? And this whole idea of gravity and the fall, and which came first, right? Which came first, gravity or the fall, y'all? I'm talking about the fall, and some people call it the gravity of man, right? Instead of the fall of man, the gravity of man. And so I'm, all this stuff is swirling around in my noggin. Now, I have to say that the Holy Spirit is still in his smithy, hammering away in my, in my bald noggin. And so these, these thoughts are not fully formed, okay? But it's just still kind of, you know, the fire's, the fire's going on, y'all, and the hammering is happening. So maybe someday those things will be fully formed and we'll have some place to go from there. But from that hammering came a new, a new understanding of listening to this song. And so I'm, I'm listening to this song, Gravity, by John Mayer. And I just want to let you guys know, this isn't my words. These are the words of John Mayer from a concert in December of 2005, all right? Talking about this song. He says, this is the most important song I've ever written. It's a time capsule song. Did you hear that? The most important song I've ever written. It's a time capsule song. I will listen to it every day of my life if I need to. 
It's honest to God, the most important song I've ever written in my life, and it has the fewest words. I was in L.A., and I was there for the summer just writing tunes, and I was in the shower, and I don't know where it came from, but it's, I'm just going to say it, it's, I'm quoting, it's the damn truth, you know, and just saying gravity is working against me. Now, am I suggesting that John Mayer is a believer? No. I don't know. God knows his heart. But I am suggesting that sometimes that little T can come punching through. You hear what I'm saying? That reflection, that, that, that shadow of that capital T. And I believe that's why artists move us at, 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 at levels that we don't normally uh, you know, experience at a conscious level, right? Think they move us in ways that don't happen through our reason. Because it touches that image, it touches that spark. And so when an actor or an artist or a sculptor or a painter or vocalist or, or an instrumentalist, when they, when, they, when they touch on that little T that points to that big T, it, it gets us. That's the language of heaven, if you will. So let's look at these lyrics line by line, y'all. Gravity is working against me. Gravity wants to bring me down. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds a lot like sin to me, right? <laughs> that sounds like sin, man. It's chasing, you know, it, no matter what I do, I'm just broken, right? Oh, I'll never know what makes this man with all the love that his heart can stand dream of ways to throw it all away. Now, for me, that makes me think of Romans 7, right? Paul saying, you know, I got this good thing in me and I got this bad thing in me and when I go to do good, the bad happens and, and the good that I would do, that's what I don't do and the bad that I don't want to do, that's what I do. We just kind of, we're tilted towards sin. We have a disposition towards disappointing God. Whoa, gravity is working against me and gravity wants to bring me down. Twice as much ain't twice as good and can't sustain like one half could. At the end of the day, y'all, selfishness and greed and indulgence, it's just not satisfying. It, it will never be enough. Whatever you're chasing, you know, whatever you think is going to fill that, that's going to that's gonna make you whole and complete, not going to happen. It's wanting more. It's going to send me to my knees. The voraciousness of sin drives me to repentance. When I realize how broken I am, how corrupt and, 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 and sinful my heart is, man, I'm, I'm hitting my knees. I'm, I, I, I gotta get after Jesus. And then he sings uh, that refrain again. And then we come to the, the last portion of this song. Gravity, stay the hell away from me. Flee sin, man. <laughs> just, just keep it off my back. Jesus, deliver me from this nonsense. Oh, wretched man that I am. You know what I'm saying? Gravity has taken better men than me. You guys heard that about all of sin that comes short of the glory of God? You, you guys heard that, right? And then we, guys, we come to the light. Just keep me where the light is. Well, I don't think you can have a much more blatant reference than that through the right lens, through the right perspective. I mean, Jesus said point blank, I am the light of the world, right? 
And so when I hear that, I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me abide in you. Help me be close to you. Help me to think like you think and, and care like you care and do like you do from those two things. Right? That's how it works, y'all. Think, care, then we do. Right? You hear what I'm saying? So this whole song, this whole song makes me think of Psalm 51. I mean, for me, I listen to this and I'm like, man, this sounds like something that David could have wrote if he lived in our day and played guitar like John May. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> that's next level. <laughs> totally next level. Right? This, this could very well be something that David would have penned, man. Oh, man, I'm just so messed up. Everything I try to get right, I screw up every time. Oh, man, just keep the light on. Keep me where that light is. God, help me. The word is near you. It is in your heart and in your mouth. So, last point, you guys. Y'all remember that one time way back when when I said God don't need you? Y'all remember that one time? Right? Guys, it's true. He don't need us. But it's so much better than that, y'all. It's so much better. He don't need us. But he chose us. He chose you. He chose you, y'all. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Y'all hear that? Heirs and co-heirs with Christ. He chose you. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. We are God's fellow workers. We are co-laborers. Think about that for a second. Remember that guy with the, with the, with the fiery eyes and the burnished feet and the, the sword and all that stuff? That guy wants us to work with him. That guy who don't need us at all says, hey, won't you come and work beside me? John 15, 15 through 17. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask, uh, these things that, uh, I'm sorry, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Guys, we have a direct Connection to and explicit orders from truth with a capital T. For those who only know truth with a little T. 
And he's called us and commissioned us as ambassadors to bring the good news that truth with a big T is alive and his name is Jesus. That's the job he's given us. Last scripture. Therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You guys know that Chi Alpha XA, do you know what that stands for? Christ ambassadors. It's explicit in, in who we are. We have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. So guys, this is what I'd like to do to, to finish up tonight. Uh, we're going to allow our modern-day psalmist to sing over us this, this modern Davidian song. And during this time, I want you to close yourself in. Close your eyes, you know, put everything away. Do whatever you got to do to get alone with the Creator with a capital C. Push into God and allow Him to speak in this moment Jesus said, follow me. Us and him together, that's the great co-mission, right? Us together with him, co-workers with Christ, co-laborers with Jesus. Take this time, snuggle up to God, and see what that might mean for you. What does that look like for you?